continuing this week our series called Small Story, Big Story, exploring some of the stories in our scripture library, some of the stories that you may or may not have heard of, exploring how these small stories can point us toward the big story of who God is and who we're called to be. It's the big story of God's love. The story that we're examining today is typically found in the kids section of our scripture library, uh, but there's a lot that, I say but, and there is a lot that we can learn from kids stories. Take it from me, I'm a parent of two little ones, and kids stories right now are pretty much my entire continuing ed. It's where I'm learning the lessons of life. Like I'm learning from Dora the Explorer, um, the wonder of a world that's ready for exploration. I'm learning to hobla a little Espanol along the way. Two, I'm learning from My Little Pony, uh, the value of friendship and of glitter and of grooming. All of those things are important. And I'm learning from Legos, the lesson to never walk near the toy aisle at Target, which is an important life lesson for all of us. We can learn a lot from kids' stories, right? Which is good to remember as we approach today's story about three Hebrew friends named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as one kid book called it, Rack, Shack, and Benny. The story is remembered often because of their unique names, but also for their narrative. But the names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, tell us a little bit of what's going on here. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the given Hebrew names of these friends. They were Babylonian names. They were given to them when their country of Israel was conquered and carried off into captivity by Babylon and forced to assimilate. And it was there that they faced a fiery trial, but in some way all of Israel did as well. And the names give us an insight into a little bit of that story. Because the story, a little background and context, is set in a traumatic time in Israel's history called the Babylonian Captivity. In 587 BCE or so, the most powerful empire in the ancient Near East, Babylon, violently conquered Israel, made it a, ca- a colony of Babylon, placed a Babylonian ruler on the throne and carried away into captivity or exile all of the best and the brightest of Israel, the leaders, the priests, the wealthy, the, the people, uh, the heart of, of their community and all of those who uh, who are part of defining their identity, were brought as captives to Babylon. Babylon was a place that represented everything that Israel was not, and everything that an empire, an affluent, unequal, oppressive, violent empire could be, was Babylon. And one of the ways that Babylon ended a people or ended a local culture was simply by kidnapping them and carrying them away and then assimilating them into their power structure, into their empire, into the supremacy of Babylon. And this experience for a proud people of identity like Israel was devastating. And so much of the middle of the Hebrew Bible is spent reckoning with this experience, wondering how it happened and where God was in the midst of it. And much of the book of Scripture, it, uh, scripture itself was gathered or compiled or written down during this time as they sought to hold on to their stories and their heritage and their culture and their faith. And what they found as they sought God and in some ways sought themselves was that in, in exile, even there, God was with them just as much as God had been with them in Israel. And in this tough time for these people, as so often can happen, they became even more aware of who they were and who 
God is. That God is a God who is with us all, always. And it was in exile that you find some of the most beautiful promises of hope written. So you find it in places like the book of Jeremiah. There's this letter in Jeremiah that's written to the exiles. And this is what it says. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken from exile, uh, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, begins Jeremiah 29. So the letter goes on to give some instructions about how to live in this time of exile, how to be, and then it offers them hope. And here's one of those words of hope. For surely I know the plans I have for you, the letter says. Says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for your harm, to give you a future with hope. Believe it or not, this verse did not start life as a refrigerator magnet. That's not how it came to us. It was a word of hope delivered to exiles in their darkest time, of their time of wrestling. And Jeremiah goes on in the midst of this word and goes on and gives them assurance that God is with them even in this strange country and difficult circumstance. He says, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me, the word says. Even in this difficult place, I am with you, Jeremiah writes about God's heart that you can find me here, especially here in this time. And it's the same for us in every season, in every step of the way, especially in those difficult steps that God is with us, with hope, with love, with a future. But even though God was with them in Babylon, it was still difficult. The pressure of living under a different empire and culture and value system, the constant code switching that they had to do and the pressure to assimilate, all while wondering whether they were losing something fundamental about themselves and their heritage and their identity in the process, of having to weigh on a daily basis those times when they might need to stand up against Babylonian culture for what is right and say no, even though the whole culture around them just doesn't understand where they're coming from. It was a constant trial. It was a constant stress. And it can be the same for us, even 2,500 years later. Some of you may know that experience and that feeling of exile well. As you have to navigate systems and culture or institution or empires or workplaces where you feel like you might not totally fit in or belong. You're seeking to be yourself and to be a part of this, but in some way also to stand up for who you are and for what is right when you need to. And to have to balance your convictions with your survival and your employment. Or maybe, like me, you were born already assimilated into places of power and privilege. And you're just now waking up to the need to stand up to the Babylons that we were born into. Into the systems of inequality and structures of racism and sexism, exclusion. And you're wondering exactly how to stand up and to survive and to seek transformation for yourself and for Babylon. These are real questions that we wrestle with. And Jeremiah said this, that God is with us in the midst of these questions, with hope and a future. And it was all of these questions and all of that hope that made this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego one that Israel loves to tell. 
So we'll get back to that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego part of the story. That's where we started. But I wanted you to know a little bit of the context. And all of that context stuff is not always what you find in the Rack Shack, Benny, kid story version of this. But it's in our version. It's in the story. And so we find the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the third chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel is a book that's set in those years of Babylonian exile. It was written down most likely later, about 200 BCE, during another period of oppression when these stories from Babylon became important to remember and to learn from, just as they might be for us today. And so in this small story of of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we meet the king of Babylon, we meet a golden idol, and we meet a fiery furnace. And it begins like this. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was six cubits. And we all know what that is, right? He set it on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, the king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. And so say that with me, Nebuchadnezzar. You got it. All right, now spell it. <laughs> All right, that's why we have spell, spell check. I don't think Microsoft Word catches Nebuchadnezzar, uh, by the way. There won't be a spelling test on all this. But, but old King Neb, we'll call him, call him that, built a 90-foot tall. That's about what we think that translates to. Golden statue of himself invited everyone to come and pay homage. And it continues, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a part of that group because they were Hebrews that were serving in the government. As a means of assimilation, they were employed to work for the man, literally the Nebuchadnezzar man. And today they stood out with everyone else out on that plain before a huge golden image that represented Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and all of its systems and culture. Because Babylon's and these empires are all about building up an image of themselves, monuments of power and authority that tower over others. And in this case, it did so literally. But King Nebuchadnezzar didn't just want people to see this image. He wanted people to bow down to it. And so the story says this, that the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble, they had just like a big band out there, I think, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. It goes on, it says, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Because Nebuchadnezzar was a bit of a drama king, you might say. But at the moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came face to face with a choice. Do they bow down to this symbol of power, to this idol? Now, for Israel, idolatry was an important symbolic thing that might not quite translate to our day because we don't have a lot of literal idols around us in our day besides Kelly Clarkson, of course. Um, But here we're talking about something literal and, and fundamental to Israel's understanding of who God is and who we are to be. Uh, Idols and idolatry can be understood in lots of different ways and lots of ways that are rich in meaning. But in this particular case, this golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar that they were to bow down to, we see kind of the essence of idolatry. Because an idol was something that claimed to carry the weight of God, but was made by human beings, by human hands. 
used to manipulate and coerce, to say here is power and authority in this one place. And powerful people like Nebuchadnezzar could take these things and claim them and capture them and control who was in and who was out, who was elevated and who was shamed, and use the idol to call others to bow down to something ultimately made by human hands. An idol is a god that can literally be picked up and used wherever and however you need it. Unless it's like 90 feet tall, and then it's harder to move around, but you've got servants to move those things for you. And so here's why that is important from the ancient world, because I think we see the same things in our times. Uh, Ways of, of thinking, systems of power and authority and religiosity, lines drawn in the sand that claim to be divine, the way that things have always been, the divine order, but are ultimately made by human hands, by our hands. And yet we claim divine authority for them, asking us to bow down in some way to them. Over our history, we've given divine authority to so much of our own making. Various people have claimed that God is behind racism, gender disparity, LGBT exclusion, religious discrimination, ableism, economic inequality, cultural supremacy, white supremacy, and on and on. All of these things that we claimed were somehow part of the divine order. All idols that we've made out of our own power for our own power. But those are not of God. They're of us. And Israel says, and we are called to say in our time, God is not an idol of our hands, of our making. Our God is bigger, freer, more infinite and unbounded. God cannot be captured or controlled. God is not used for coercion. Yet God chooses to be with us, with liberating love for all people, unconditionally and universally. And that is the God that we are called to stand for. In Acts, Paul writes and speaks about this God who is not like an idol. The God who made this world and everything in it, he says. God who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is God served by human hands as though God needed anything. Since God gives to all mortals life and breath and all things, for in God we live and move and have our being. That God isn't something that we can hold on our hands. God is something so much more a part of all of us. God is not contained in our statues or our statutes. God is bigger. God is the one that's bringing life and breath and empowerment to all people. God is love. And so the shape of our life and our life together in our community needs to be shaped in that way too. If we bow, we bow to the God who cannot be contained who does not coerce but liberates, who uses power for our empowerment, who does not control yet is in control, who loves all and gives life and desires that all might flourish, and that God who is with us, especially in the fires of this life, that is the God that we stand for, the God who is love and calls us to the same. And so Shadrach, Meshach, And Abednego stood for just that very thing, for the sake of the God who cannot be controlled, who does not coerce, and for the sake of their siblings and and their tribe and the others who were captive and in chains in Babylon and beyond, under human hands, they stood up to the idol of power, literally. (laughs) Because on this great flat plain of Dura, the story says, everyone else bowed down, and they stood up, and they stuck out like three sore thumbs, I think. 
And of course, they got tattled on as they stood up. This is what it says. Accordingly, at this time, the Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews, because it's always the Chaldeans that are tattling, right? I don't know what that means. <laughs> Just guess me. They said, there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not to name any names, but that's who it is. These pay no heed to you, they said, O king. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship this golden statue that you have set up. And this made King Neb real mad. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in and just reminded them of who was in charge and what the whole deal was, just in case they happened to forget, and said, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? That I've got the power, so who are you following? What way are you walking in, he asks. There are times when, when we're trying to follow what's right, stand up for what's right, whether it's in the workplace or in Facebook comment threads, we're not quite sure what the consequences are that lay out there for us, if there's any of these. And then there's other times when the consequences of civil disobedience and standing up are very apparent. And in this case, it was very apparent. Nebuchadnezzar said, immediately, you will be thrown into this fire that was already burning. Because to build a huge statue like this, there was probably a big smelting furnace right there on site that was hot enough to melt metal. Uh, They were shaped like a big milk bottle or a huge chimnea, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before it, and they could, they could hear the fire raging. They could feel its flames. And that was before them as they considered their answer. And here's what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, and I love this subtlety that they don't call him king here, right? They're operating under a different authority. We have no need to present a defense to you in this matter if our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, then let God deliver us. They weren't looking for a fight. If there was a way out, if there was a way around this impasse, they would gladly take it. But if they must, there are some things that are worth standing for. And so they said, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. We will not bow down. And in their wildest imagination, I don't think they could conceive of a fate different than the furnace that stood in for them. That seemed to be the reality of their situation. But in this life, when we choose to face reality, the reality of our real world, of the struggles within it, of the systems of brokenness entrenched in it, when we face that reality with an open heart of love and with all the courage that we muster when you face reality, you meet the God in whom reality rests and the God who is at work right there in the midst of real life with us. And these three friends met God in that place. But that's jumping ahead a little bit. Sorry to spoil the end of the story for you. So here they stand, before it all, before this huge furnace. They could be delivered from the fire, Or one way or another, they could be delivered through the fire. And though we would not choose it, it is often through the fire that the most liberating and refining work is done in us and in our world. And so here's what happened next. Then Nebuchadnezzar, as their response, was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. It was not pretty. 
He ordered the furnace, heated up seven times more than was customary, and ordered some of his strongest guards and his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to tie them up and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. Like I said, he is a drama king to the extent. But these three friends are thrown in. Uh, They fall through the furnace. And that would be the end of the story, perhaps. It was commonplace in the ancient Near East to get thrown into a situation like this as punishment for standing up, and that would be all except for what happens next in this story. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? And, but I see four men, unbound, walking in the middle of the fire. They are not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. I don't know what that means. I don't know who that was. It's left there, resolved. But the story tells us that there was another in the fire with them. Like, like a God who was with them. And in this trial, they were not cowering. They were not bound. They were walking one foot in front of the other on their journey with the God who was with them even still. Friends, whenever you face trials, there is another in the fire with you. A God who is with you, lifting you, comforting you, strengthening you, standing with you, walking with you one foot in front of the other. Where is God? We often ask. Not in the idols or in human powers, but there's a God who's with you in the fire and with all people who find themselves there. So as Jacqueline read from the Isaiah Poets, this poem about the God who's with us that was written to those very same exiles in Babylon. It says this in Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, the God who made you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. It goes on, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. There's a God who is with us another in the fire of this life, in the trials that we face, in those times that we stand up, God is with us. And this isn't about miracle stuff, but it's a spiritual reality because there's a God who's with us. And because of that, we can face the fires no matter what the specific outcome of the trial that we face because we know that in God's arms, we cannot be consumed, that we have a future and hope no matter the outcome of this particular situation. Because God is with us, the God who formed us and loved us and calls us and calls us by our name. We are embraced by that God who is with us and nothing can separate us. And so in those moments of trial, when we stand up, we hear God call us by our name. Maybe for the first time by our true name, not the name that Babylon gives us, but our name. Called by the God who knows us so deeply. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they heard their name called, I don't think they heard the Babylonian name. I think they heard their heart name. They heard called out Hananiah, which means the Lord is gracious. Azariah, the Lord has helped. Mishael, who is like God? They're given names that maybe they hadn't heard in years, but who is like God? Because they found not like the idols or like the kings, they found like 
that God was with them in the fire. And who is like that? That when we stand up for what is right, for the love of God, for justice of all people, for the liberation and mercy for our neighbor, that there is another in the fire with us. We can feel alone sometimes, but there is another. And that other is powerful. Who is like our God? I think back on the words that we read last week from civil rights leader Abraham Joshua Heschel, the great rabbi. He's talking about standing for justice in these times when we stand up. And he says this about the beautiful power that is with us in those moments. He says, justice is charged with the omnipotence of God. What ought to be, shall be. We are empowered in this life. We are charged with the omnipotence of God when we stand for justice, even if we find ourselves in the fire. We stand in a place that is empowered with the omnipotence of God because there's another in the fire, a God of love whose love wins, telling us and whispering to us that what ought to be shall be. And so stand up, speak out, and love with all you have. So for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not burn up, the story tells us. But the narrative says that there was one thing that did burn that day. They were thrown in, bound up. But when King Neb looks in, says, I see four men unbound. It says that their bonds, their bondage burned up. And in some ways, these friends, by standing up, the bondage that they were wrapped in, and in some way, I think the bondage of all the captives in exile and their place burned up too. Because when we stand up to the idols in this world, those things of human hands, not of the vine, we see that at the end of the day, they're false powers. And we realize that those things that bound us up don't really have the power to do that. Not the God kind of power, at least. We don't have to be captive to old ways of living, to old ways of thinking. We don't have to be captive to old ways of thinking about race or gender or economics, about systems or self-preservation or the way that things have always been. Those idols do not have power. The only thing that has power, as Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith working through love, having faith that we are not alone, that God is with us, and that we can stand up to Babylon and that standing up matters, having faith in the other that is with us, the another in a fire, and then working in that power and that omnipotence of God in love, in action. And something happens when we work in love, in the way of God, when we try our best to stand for love, in love, in a way that extends the gracious hand of kindness even to those who stand on the other side. Something amazing happens. Because when we stand up in justice for love, we can stand there without having to sit down into the same hates and bitterness and power plays that have always been there, those same idols that have always had us in captivity. And when we do that, we can truly be free. Because here's how the story ends. Nebuchadnezzar approaches the door of the furnace of blazing fire and says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out 
from the fire. I think it's really interesting that Nebuchadnezzar only asked for three to come out of the fire. Um, there was a fourth one in there, but Neb wants nothing to do with that. You stay where you are. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors. I still, I don't know what that means, by the way, but just important people. Satraps and prefects and governors and all the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their tunics were not harmed. And not even the smell of fire came from them. I love that last detail. That as they stood courageously, they stood in such a way that when they stepped out of that trial, they did not smell like smoke. Because there's always that possibility when we go through hard times that we just end up bowing down to the same things that we sought to stand against. Hate, bitterness, power, coercion, division. And that we come through that trial just as bound with new things as we went in with. We come out smelling like smoke. And as we go through our lives, folks around us are just coughing. <laughs> like, did you eat fajitas or something? It's all I need. It's just coming off of us. But when we choose to stand in love, always, even in resistance, when we disagree, but we do not denigrate, when we stand up, but don't slander, when we love and we always leave the door open to those who stand on the other side for reconciliation. When we stand in love, the means create the ends of the beloved community, of, of the kingdom and community of God. And no matter the fire, when we choose the way that is charged with the omnipotence of a God whose love wins, we can come through even the most fiery circumstance with no smell of fire on us and no bonds on us. Friends, the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the story of courage and conviction. It's of standing up to idols and institutions, systems, and supremacy. But it's also the story of a God who is with us and whose presence gives us the courage to stand in a loving way because we have a God who's already standing there with us for love, for liberation, for justice, for holistic flourishing, for all people, for the creative force of love against the destructive forces of hate, no matter the size of the idols that stand before us. There will be a chance in our lives when we seek to follow in the way of God to stand up to Babylon. And when our day comes, it might be today. May we be people who carry on the heart of this little kid's story in our time and be people like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who stand courageously when we can and stand in love because we know that we do not do it alone. There is another who is with us in every fire. The one who is with us is our God who is love, who is grace and compassion and strength, empowerment, kindness, justice, truth, our God, who is love. May we stand on that and for that, for that love and for the life of all people. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the example that we have in Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, of people who stood up to the powers of this world 
to the captivity and the bondage and said, our God calls us to a different way. To a way marked by love, by a way marked by peace, by a way that seeks justice, by a way of courage and compassion, kindness and clarity of convictions. God, this week, when it's our time to stand and the flames seem hot around us, God, help us to know that in our trials, in our world, in this life, that you are with us. God, you are another in every fire that we face who's been there before us at work in our institutions and systems and structures, God, to bring transformation. And may we stand alongside you in the places we go that this might be a more just, equitable, loving world that more reflects your beloved community on earth just as it is in the heavens. Help us be your people. Give us courage. And thank you for standing with us. We pray this in your name. Amen.